Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come before you this morning asking, Lord, that you increase our faith. That the prayer that we prayed earlier, that Wesleyan Covenant prayer, Father, whose words are so challenging, but they may each day become more of a reality in our lives, that we would be employed by you or laid aside by you. That, Father, we would allow you to empty us when it is needed and you allow you to fill us. That, Father, in all things we would put you first in our lives. We come to you this morning, Father, realizing that there are so many places where we have compartmentalized our life, where we have left you out. We ask, Lord, that you would, uh, by your Spirit, lead us uh, to take every part of our life and to surrender to you. And as we give this morning, Father, may all that we give be surrendered to you, that your kingdom might uh, might grow, that Others might come to know Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in his name. We pray, Father, according to his spirit and his love. And amen. Please join me in reading the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here am I dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he put his arms around and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Pam, you may notice the title is a little different from what you're usually uh, uh, used to in reference to this passage of Scripture. Usually it's called the story of the prodigal son. And uh, the prodigal certainly does live wastefully uh, he in an extravagant way, and that's what prodigal means, wastefully extravagant. But there's a second character here, the father who is also wastefully extravagant. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, I uh, was thinking about the son this week. I was thinking, how does a a boy grow up with apparently a father who is that good of a father to forgive him in the way that he did? How does a boy grow up like that to be the... Uh, so narcissistic, so cruel. When he said to his father, give me my inheritance, give me what is due me, the word there actually he says uh, is give me part of your life. That's what inheritance literally meant. It was the life, what you have accumulated over a lifetime. I want what is due me. And it was a, a disrespectful thing to do. It wasn't normal for the child to come before the father had died and ask for the inheritance, but it was allowable in that culture. Can you imagine today? <laughs> you know, your 25-year-old comes, they've racked up, you know, they've got car payments and they've gotten in debt and they've used up all their credit cards and everything too. And they say, come, come and give me what's owed me. And then they go off and they... Uh, they may pay off a little bit of it, but they're going to be in deeper trouble in the end. It would be a disaster today if we had that kind of system, but that is a system there. And when the son comes back, remember, he doesn't come back with anything in his pockets. He comes back to that father having taken, taken one-third, think of it, one-third of your total value, any property, any cars, your, your house, whatever, is gone when this son comes back. So it's a really interesting story. And I thought, how does that child begin life? How does that child begin life? What kind of kid was he? And I found this video that to me says, this is probably how he started out. You know, sin starts out when you're a little kid, you're you're not like really aware of sin. You know, we have this age of accountability where we say the child now can be held accountable for their sins because they understand the concept of sin. But a little child just really is kind of working things out in terms of saying, how can I get away with this? 
And it seems a really simple thing to them to say, maybe I could do this thing called, that I think the adults call it lying, but I can get away with stuff by just lying. That's a simple th- concept. And what they don't realize is you have to be a really good liar to get away with a lie. And eventually lies catch up with you. So I had this little 20-second video here that I think is kind of what the prodigal son was probably like as a little boy. Go ahead and make hey, sure Dad. the volume's up. Did, did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to think. I think this little boy really thought he was getting away with it. And, you know, and obviously he wasn't. But I think that I I try to figure out, and and maybe you have too, uh, especially if you're a parent, how does one child end up, you know, that child who has the nerve to come to his father and say, give me one-third of everything you have earned. Give it to me so I can go off and do what, well, what are you going to do with it, son? It's none of your business. You know? How does a child grow up like that? And actually, that's been, uh, this, this story of the prodigal son is, is actually considered the greatest short story of all time. It has a great ending because the ending is an, is an open ending which invites us to answer some questions for ourselves. But the idea of how one child can be so good and the other so bad, I think has bothered parents from the very beginning. Out of the same womb, in the same environment, two children come out. You know, you have books like East of Eden, and you have these things where you have the good boy and the bad boy. And here we have the quote, the good boy and the bad boy. And Jesus is telling this story in the presence of some uh Pharisees, who are keepers of the law, and teachers of the law, experts in the law, and also he is really talking to, they're kind of on the periphery, but he is talking to a group of people who are considered to be sinners in that time and in that culture. They're considered to be sinners, uh, some are just tax collectors. Well, to be a tax collector made you a sinner. Um, Sinners... uh, could be anything from prostitutes to people who have a profession that doesn't seem respectable. But anyways, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had no room for these people in their lives. They actually had regulations about what you could or couldn't do with these people. Just like they had prohibitions on eating pork. You know, they, you, you don't hang around with these people. You don't let their kids, you know, uh, hang around with these people. That's... Uh, that's just not what you do. And so uh, Jesus hears the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law grumbling that he is hanging around with sinners and tax collectors. He's even eating with them. And so he tells this story to the sinners and the tax collectors, but knowing that the Pharisees and the others are, are listening in. And so he tells this story after he's told two other stories. The other two are very short. One is about a shepherd who lost a sheep. You know this, the 99 and 1. The 99 sheep are there and the one is lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99 
behind and goes after the one lost sheep. And when he has found the lost sheep, what has he done? What does he do? He calls his friends together and says, let's celebrate because my sheep was lost, but now it's found. Let's celebrate. And then the second one, the second story, short story here, is about a woman who loses a coin. Now, it's thought that maybe this coin, she had, uh, uh, it was a silver coin uh, in a Greek drachma, which would have been about one day's wages. So it was worth quite a bit, but not necessarily so much that she would be so frantic to find it, uh, so devastated if she didn't find it. But she uh, went searching for it nonetheless because it's very possible that it was part of a collection of ten silver coins. That the, uh, and, and because it says in there, she had ten silver coins, she loses one of them. In this collection of ten silver coins, uh, a woman in that time period would uh, very often make a necklace out of ten silver coins, and it would be like our wedding ring today. So that was the way to symbolize that she was married, and it seems like maybe one of those coins fell off of her necklace. And so it represented far more than just a day's wages, it represented her marriage. And she had lost it, it was a special coin. And so the woman is frantic, and she's searching, it says she lights a lantern so she can see. Uh, The thing that would have made it tough back in that time, you're thinking maybe of a a hard flooring, but they didn't have hard floors. It would have been a dirt floor, and on top of the dirt floor would have been straw and things that were just put on there to keep it from getting muddy, you know, and, 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 and to keep the dust down and all too. So that coin got down in there, and it would have been very hard to find it. And maybe with the lantern, she's hoping that the glint of the coin, the silver, she'll see it. And then when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends together and they celebrate. Now, in both cases, some people might have said, well, it's not worth leaving the 99 behind and risking your life to go out to find the one lost sheep. Or it's not worth your time to go searching for that one coin. You have nine others, so why go and make all this effort after the one? And then with the son in the prodigal, in the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father, if this son is gone, he's gone. If he's lost, he's lost. He's been a bad kid from the beginning. You have a good son. Forget about him. But it appears that this dad, for a, a pretty long time, we know that it says he, the, the son went far away. So he's not just like a couple hours away. He's, he's far away from his dad. It's not the age of, of communication that we have now where they could have communicated uh, or that the dad could have done any sort of search for him. Uh, you know, you know, the police aren't, uh, going to be, uh, with an amber alert there or whatever. It's, it's not, that's not going to happen. So as far as the dad knows, his son could be out there dead. As far as the dad knows, his son may not be ever be coming back. In fact, given that the son wasted everything that, and lost all the money, it'd be possible he won't come back because he doesn't want to face his dad. But the dad faithfully remains out there day after day waiting for his son to come, watching for him. Wanting beyond anything in the world for that son to return to him. And so in the same way that you had the celebration of the sheep being found, the coin being found, now in this third story, longer than the other two, you have the story of a father who wants earnestly to find 
his son. Now remember your audience here. Okay. You have the sinners and the tax collectors and they're listening to us and they're going to get one message out of it. And then you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're getting another message out of it. It's brilliant Brilliant stories by Jesus as he tells this to get his message through. And so to the, to the uh, sinners and the tax collectors, what Jesus is telling them is that you're worth something. Your whole life you have been told by the society and the culture around you that you're not worth anything. That if one sheep goes away, not worth going after. We've already got 99, not worth the risk. Or you've been told that you lose one coin, you got nine, it's only 10% of what you have, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know, it's okay. That's what the society has been telling you, that you're not worth it. And then the sun going away, what you have been told is that uh, if you come back, you will be punished, you will be held accountable, you're going to have to pay back. You know, that to me, I, th- I, thought, I thought about this as a dad, what if this happened to me? Think about this for a moment, if you've been a parent. If you had a child go away, and essentially they have said, I don't care about you, you, you know, you're dead to me because I'm taking one-third of everything you have, I'm not going to worry about you in your old age, and I'm going to go off, don't expect to hear from me. And I'm going to go off and do whatever it is I want to do. I'm going to live the life you haven't let me live. So try to imagine what would your response be when that son came back. Anybody want to volunteer a response? What would a typical response be? What's that? Oh, you made your bed, sleep in it. You know, it was your choice. You know, you're stupid. You always were the stupidest of the two brothers. Actually, he's the younger son. He he has to be the smarter one because I have a younger brother and he was the smarter one. So, you know. Um, now come up in a minute with the older brother and his feelings about the younger brother. Okay. Uh, great stuff here because sibling rivalries, sibling jealousies are just such a huge part of our lives, aren't they? I don't know if you have that. I have that in mind. But uh, uh, I'm starting to go off into, sorry, some emotions are coming in here, thinking about my brother and how he always got everything. <laughs> my parents paid for him to go to a private school when he was a little kid. They sent me to public school. They bought him a car when he graduated high school. They, they bought me a greeting card, you know, and so on. I could go on with this. My brother and I have had deep talks about this. And what's funny is, from my brother's perspective, I was the lucky one. Because they ignored me, you see. Nothing but, no better childhood than a childhood where you are ignored. Because then you get to do whatever you want to do, okay? Where was I? Oh, what should the dad have done? What should the father have done? Well, I can think of a lot of things that would have been responsible and still merciful to an extent and been wise. Uh, The father could have said, now, okay, you're coming back. Um, The merciful thing here is I'm going to let you come back back into the house. The son expected that the dad might actually only take him in as a servant. That was his offer. 
The son actually represented the reasonable solution to this. You know, Father, I've sinned against you. You know, I don't deserve to come back, but if you would just make me one of your servants, would you do that for me? So, you know, come back in. Uh, you're going to have to work the fields with your brother. Uh, you're going to have to repay what you wasted in some, some former manner. I mean, some, some, some rules, you're going to set those down. That would be, have been a good thing to do. Here's the incredible thing. Here's what Jesus is saying to the uh, tax collectors and the sinners out there and what the Pharisees and the, and the uh, teachers of the law, this is what they're going to hear is that the father cuts the son off and the, before the son can get to the part about take me in as one of your servants, before he can get to that part, the father cuts him off. And instead calls out to his servants, bring a ring, bring some shoes. You know, there's an old Negro uh, spiritual, and I can't remember exactly, but it's, it's uh, all the words. But it's based around, going to get me those shoes. Because slaves went barefoot. Slaves didn't own shoes. And so, uh, by putting the shoes, the sandals on his feet... He was saying, you're not coming back as a servant. You're not coming back as a slave. Get him a good robe. You know, butcher the calf. Uh, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. My son who was lost is found. And the father, there's nothing in his heart that says, I have to come up with a, a punish. There's nothing punitive, a punishment. There's nothing punitive here. There's nothing that, that's going to hold him accountable for anything. Now think about God and your salvation and the grace that God shows to you. God isn't going to hold you accountable for your sins. We say that so easily as if it was, oh yeah, yeah, we know that. We're forgiven in Jesus Christ. He doesn't hold us accountable for our sins. But think about it for a moment. What God is saying is like that father is saying, you're welcome back into the house despite everything bad that you have done. And I'm not going to make you do anything to earn your way back in. You are my son. That response to me is a one in a million response of a father to do that. Now then you've got the, you've got the brother, the older brother, who really I'm sure is a much better person than what we see here. Being an older brother, I feel that way. You know, but... He has some natural reactions. His reactions are much more typical than what the father's are to me. Uh, I, I love the fact that he says, you know, my brother's been running out there after harlots. You know, he's been engaging with prostitutes. Do you know nowhere else in the story did it say that's what the brother did? I think the older brother has been back here working in the fields. He has been just dwelling on the fact that I'm working in these stupid fields. My brother has all this money. He is out there partying every day, drinking and running around with women. And look at me. In a sense, he's jealous of his brother. And that jealousy has turned into a resentment and a hatred so that when his brother finally comes home, rather than celebrating, he's resenting him. Now all this goes back around to It'd be it the sheep, the coin, or the, or the brother come home to those Pharisees and teachers of the law 
who are so resentful of these sinners getting all of Jesus' attention. Why, if he's such a great teacher, if he's the Messiah, shouldn't he be spending all his time with us? We're the folks who have been studying day and night the Word. We memorize it. We make sure we're following it to the T. And Jesus comes along and He's spending all His time with these sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. You see, the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're the older brother. The older brother resents the bro- the, 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 his younger brother coming back. And the Pharisees and the tax collectors resent... Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law resent the uh, sinners and tax collectors that they're getting all of Jesus' attention. You know, uh, folks, I find this somewhat disturbing that God is this way. If the Father represents God... I find it disturbing that people can be forgiven so easily. But if I think about it long enough, I think my only hope of heaven is if God forgives people easily. (laughs) Because if he held me accountable for my sins, I wouldn't make it. So I thank God for a father who welcomes me home without holding me accountable. I, you know, I think sometimes, there, I think there is a line of thinking about heaven that says that when we get up there, it's going to be a big exam and that God is going to spend hours and hours and hours with us going down a detailed list. And nowadays, now in this age of media, he's probably going to have recordings of everything. And it's all going to come back to haunt us. But then at the end, he's going to say, you know what, it's okay. A little time in purgatory will straighten you out. And then then we'll get you up here into heaven. You know, I I think a lot of us think of it that way. But here's the message of, of, of Scripture here, is that God will not only welcome us without asking us for the details. The Father doesn't say, tell me what it was you were doing out there. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's going to have a party. Six times in Luke 15, the word celebrate is used. Did you know heaven is going to be a big party? Did you know it's going to be a big celebration? Did you know that, you know, remember that song, Celebrate Good Times, Come On? It's going to be playing, Celebrate Good Times. Okay. It's going to be playing over and over and over. Because God heart His heart desires only one thing. That's you and I come home. That we come to our senses and come home to Him today. Will we do that? Will we be the Pharisees (laughs) who are over here just constantly focusing on the people around us and resenting them and, and, and resenting God's grace upon them, wanting God to punish them? Or will will we be that son who finally comes to his senses and comes home and on his knees says to his father, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I don't deserve this. But the father doesn't let another moment go. Are we going to come home to that father who doesn't let another moment go by without saying, 
Let's have a party. My child has come home. During the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln was asked, when the South is defeated and the Union is brought back together, how are you going to treat them? And he replied, I will treat them as if they had never left. You know, a wonderful thing to think that when we're back home with God in heaven, that we will be treated as if we had never left him. Even though there are many times in our lives when we leave him, when we leave our home in God to take on other pursuits and to seek joy and happiness other places. But when we're with God in heaven, when Jesus comes again, if we have placed our faith in him, then it's not even going to come up. He's not going to raise those sins up again. He's not going to raise the times that we insulted God that by ignoring God and sought after other gods. It's a wonderful thing to think about that heaven is going to be a place of pure celebration with Jesus Christ. Go and party with God this week. Go and celebrate with him your salvation in Jesus Christ and be glad and amen.